Mr. Cheney, are you ready to take the oath? I am. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, James Danforth Quayle. I, Michael Richard Pence. I, Spiro Theodore Agnew. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. Welcome to the third episode of Running Mates. I'm your host, Lars Emerson, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Levito. How's it going, folks? This is the podcast where we look at every presidential election through the lens of vice presidential picks. This episode, we're talking about how candidates and parties are grappling with and adapting to a post-Watergate world in 1976's presidential election. We're coming to you live from D.C. under quarantine, (laughs) and uh, we don't have a lot to do, so here we are. Let's get right to it. It's 1976. For a little bit of background, Gerald Ford has now become the president. Uh, you know, he became vice president by senatorial confirmation following Spiro Agnew's resignation under Nixon. Uh, he then became president following Nixon's resignation as a result of Watergate. He's, of course, the first and only president to have never been elected as president or vice president. Ford kind of controversially pardons Nixon. He wants to heal the nation. That's still sticking with him. South Vietnam also fell when the U.S. withdrew from Vietnam. And uh, the economy's not looking so good. So there's been a bit of stagflation. The U.S. has kind of gotten into a recession in 1975. Things are kind of on the rebound, but but people are not happy. And Ford's approval rating has like barely gone above 50% for like his entire presidency. It's looking pretty close. You want to tell us what's happening on the Republican side, Mike? Sure. So 1976 was the first year that the Republicans held either a primary or a caucus in every state. So kind of... I would say their first modern primary. Since Gerald Ford was the incumbent, you would expect that he'd have kind of a straight shot towards the nomination, but that wasn't the case at all. He was challenged by the charismatic and popular former governor of California, Ronald Reagan, who'd gained a reputation as a conservative stalwart throughout his two terms in Sacramento and through his national radio show and newspaper column. Reagan was building up steam throughout the Ford presidency as conservatives began to take issue with a number of the, of the president's actions and opinions. Ford traditionally had been very conservative, but as president, he appointed the liberal governor of New York, Nelson Rockefeller, as his vice president. He signed the Helsinki Accords with the USSR, which kind of codified their claims to Eastern Europe. He withdrew from Vietnam, and he refused to host Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn at the White House. Um, it also didn't help that his wife, First Lady Betty Ford, was a vocal supporter of abortion rights and the Equal Rights Amendment. Really? Yeah. Interesting. In the primary, Ford picked up early but close victories in Iowa and New Hampshire before winning comfortably in Massachusetts, Vermont, Florida, and Illinois. Reagan pulled off a must-win in North Carolina, becoming the first insurgent candidate to beat an incumbent president in a primary since Estes Kefauver defeated Harry S. Truman in New Hampshire in 1952. Yes, Harry S. Truman briefly did run for president in 1952. I had no idea before I started doing this research. He eventually dropped out. The two went blow for blow throughout the primary calendar, with neither holding the clear leading delegates going into the convention. So the convention this year, it's held in Kansas City, and the two sides commenced in what was essentially a wooing campaign for their fellow Republicans. A group of Texas delegates nicknamed Reagan's Raiders tried to drum up support from conservatives by calling attention to Ford's foreign policy failings, while Ford deployed the mystique of the presidency. He gave people rides in Air Force One, he held private meetings with them, um, and a lot of them were set up by his chief of staff, a young Wyomingian named Dick Cheney. Things got so heated that there was a speculation that the conservatives would form their own party if Reagan didn't get the nomination. Reagan tried to break the stalemate and attract moderates by announcing that he would select liberal Pennsylvania Senator Richard Schweiker as his running mate if nominated, a move that actually backfired when it failed to attract many moderates and actually alienate a lot of conservatives. So much so that South Carolina Senator Jesse Helms went as far as to try and draft New York Senator James L. Buckley, the brother of William F. Buckley Jr., the founder of National Review and essentially the father of modern conservatism, as the nominee. It's a real, like, Ted Cruz, Carly Fiorina move. It's like, I'm not the nominee, but this is my vice president. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember during the 2016 primary, people were like, this is so unprecedented. Like, this has never happened before. But, like, apparently it has. I guess it has never happened before a convention before, but still. Reagan's camp tried to recover from this blunder by proposing a rule that would require Ford to name his running mate as well. So, like, ha, ah, we screwed up. Now you have to do it, too. Rockefeller had already announced that he had no interest in running. But most people saw through this, and the rule was defeated. Actually, a very close vote. Eventually, Ford was chosen as the nominee by a thin margin of 1,180 to 1,069. As a sign of goodwill, Ford insisted that Reagan deliver some remarks after his acceptance speech. The charismatic Reagan speech, which only lasted about five minutes, vastly overshadowed Ford's acceptance speech, and many delegates left the convention wondering if they had nominated the wrong man for president. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) So Ford's not feeling so good coming into this one at all. No. 
cool on, on the Democratic side, a little a little less Reagan-y. So the Republicans have been in office for a while. They also had a pretty major scandal unfold. You know that we're sort of in this era of like distrusting Washington. There's these gross, grimy politics. Watergate. There's this whole '70s aesthetic. So former governor of Georgia, Jimmy Carter, he decides that he's a fresh enough face. He's untainted by Washington, and he's got kind of this like moderate but very successful track record in Georgia. He may be just the guy. He's not really considered a front runner at first. Instead, Washington Senator Henry Scoop Jackson, we kind of talked about him in last episode, and Arizona Representative Mo Udall, who we definitely talked about last episode, they're thought to be kind of the most likely front runners. But <laughs> Carter has this winning strategy. He decides it's brilliant. He's going to run in all of the states. <laughs> Who'd have thought that would be a good idea? You, you, you may recall that after the reforms over the last kind of eight years, um, now the primary system looks like what we have today, where it's like you go state after state and a bunch of states go on one day and then the next day. And it's like kind of this like several month long slog where you kind of have to compete in all the states. Carter's the only one who kind of thinks he should actually do this and he competes in all of them. And so he has this like surprise second place finish in Iowa, emerges as this like dark horse, and then people start to like think and realize, oh, this is a guy. Uh, he then wins New Hampshire, proving that even though he's from the South, that he can win the North. It's kind of like when Obama won in Iowa, it's like, oh, he can win white voters. Maybe he can actually win. And like because he's from the South, he undermines the problematic George Wallace who is once again running and he wins North Carolina and of course he carries Georgia. Because like Carter was competing in every single state, unlike his opponents, he is able to win delegates in every single state. So he just sort of like slowly like takes the lead just by default. As it became apparent that Carter was going to win, the Western part of the Democratic Party, which is kind of a relatively like new part of the party. You got Senator Frank Church and then California Governor Jerry Brown. They sort of hopped into this race as part of the ABC movement, which is like anybody but Carter. They thought that he would be too conservative because he's from the South and the Democrats had decided like that's not the direction to go. This failed and Carter was handily selected as the nominee during the convention. Good right. for him. So let's talk about the running mates. Uh, we'll start with Carter because Ford's a little more complicated. Mm. So Carter chose Minnesota Senator Walter Mondale as his running mate. He wanted to appeal to the more like northern progressive wing of the party that you know maybe these ABC guys thought he couldn't be, um, and they were skeptical you know of, of Carter's southern roots. Mondale was kind of the protege of former Vice President and 1968 nominee Hubert Humphrey. And he was kind of like a big advocate in the Senate for like consumer protection, fair housing, tax reform, and desegregation. So this kind of gives Carter credibility with the like liberals and social justice wing of the party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so Ford chose Bob Dole as the junior senator from Kansas and a former congressman and chairman of the Republican National Committee. He's a World War II veteran who voted in favor of both the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act and worked on food stamp legislation with 1972 presidential nominee George McGovern. He helped deliver Kansas for Ford during the primary. Like He was like a big player in Kansas politics, obviously, and he was sort of like essential in making sure the Kansas Republican Party through their support behind Ford. Fun fact, on I-70, when you drive through his hometown, there's a giant billboard. It's like, home of Bob Dole. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. I was, so I was doing research for this. I There's the Robert J. Dole Archive Center at the University of Kansas. And so oh. we're like, it's actually really interesting. because Jayhawks. Yeah, Rock Sock Jayhawk. They have recorded interviews with like his staffers and like people who were involved in the 1976 campaign. It's actually very interesting. Hmm. Anyway, the various factions within the Republican Party, they each had their own favorites for the vice presidential slot, but Dole emerged as a consensus second choice who was agreeable to all. There was actually even speculation before Reagan made his announcement about Schweiker that he would choose Bob Dole as his hypothetical running mate to make peace with the Ford camp. He wasn't controversial. Everybody kind of liked him. Because it was a contested convention, Dole was chosen after a 1.30 a.m. meeting with Reagan and a series of conferences with advisors, the Ford advisors. <coughs> Excuse me. Some Reaganites were still so bitter about the way everything was going down that they scattered their vice presidential votes across 30 other people, with both abstentions and the aforementioned Jesse Humps coming in second place on the ballot. Other notable vote-getters include Reagan himself, William F. Buckley Jr., running mate's favorite John Connolly, CIA Director George H.W. Bush, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, and Dallas Cowboys quarterback Roger Staubach. So this is kind of what happened to the Democrats last time. Exactly. This is the second convention Order. in a row that a football figure gets, like, votes for either president or vice president. And it's, like, a mess, and it gets totally <laughs> overshadowed because they, like, pick it at, like, 1.30 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like how you kind of start to see, like, the emerging political dynasties, though. It's, like, Reagan, mm -hmm. the Bushes, yeah. Cheney, Rummy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, conventions go on, kind of run into the general... Um, you get the first ever vice presidential debate. Very exciting. 
I read the whole transcript. <laughs> it actually went pretty well for Mondale, though, because Dole, he kind of went on, like, this tirade about how all the wars of the 20th century had been, like, Democrat wars, mm -hmm. which, like, is kind of true yeah. in that they happened while Democrats were presidents. Mm -hmm. It made him come across kind of, like, cold, and Mondale sort of leapt at this, and he made a very astute point. as like, Democrats were the anti-war party for, like, the last decade. Where have you been? So Mondale kind of had this optimistic, positive message, whereas Dole came across, like, heartless and kind of stale mm -hmm. you know election day comes around and what was initially at this point kind of seemed like it would be like a kind of a runaway for the democrats it got very close through the course of the fall carter just barely succeeds it's a 297 to 240 electoral vote victory and ford is the first president since herbert hoover to lose re-election uh yeah Dole remained a major player in national politics for decades afterwards. He served as either Senate Majority Leader or Minority Leader between 1985 and 1996, depending on the balance of power in the chamber. Um, he also ran for president three times. He ran for the Republican nomination for the first time in 1980, eventually dropping out after a paltry showings in both Iowa and New Hampshire. He won the 1988 Iowa caucuses and would win five state contests in all, but still finished in a distant second to George H.W. Bush. He finally and comfortably secured the nomination in 1996, failed to unseat Bill Clinton, who won re-election with 379 electoral votes, so fairly comfortably. Since then, Dole has been involved in numerous commercials and nonprofit pursuits, including appearing in advertisements for Viagra, Dunkin' Donuts, and Pepsi, the last of which he appeared in with Britney Spears. Uh, he most recently made news by being the only former presidential nominee to endorse Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. Why him? I remember that being like a big deal in 2016, but like, why is Bob Dole so... Like why? <clears throat> I, I think part of it, uh, I think he's just old. <laughs> well, he's kind of, the, yeah, that's what I was saying, he's, he's kind of the last Republican one alive. Yeah. It's like after that you get the Bushes, who are not right, fans, you, and yeah. like Romney, who's obviously not a fan. Yeah, but and like, McCain, who right. certainly wasn't a fan. <laughs> right. Okay. As for what happened to Mondale, well, he became the vice president, of course. He's kind of more influential than I think we give him credit for. He's sort of the first, like, truly modern vice president. He takes, like, a significant role in policy, and as a, um, like, advisor to the president, this is also probably because Carter is governor, and he doesn't really know the federal government as well. You know, he starts this tradition that still kind of goes on, weekly lunches with the president and vice president. Carter and Mondale would go on to lose to Reagan and Bush in 1980, but then Mondale would come back as the nominee for the Democrats in 1984, losing in a landslide 49 states to one. He then went on to become an ambassador in the Clinton years, and then he ran for his Senate seat again in 2002, which he lost. But, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a happy warrior. He's remained active. He supported Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, uh, most recently supported Amy Klobuchar for the presidency. As a good Minnesotan would. Right. Both he and Carter remain alive to this day. They are the longest living post-presidential team in American history. Hmm. And it seems like they both do really good things. So, good for them. Solid dudes. All right, that's what really happened. Now, what should have happened? <laughs> Let's see. So, once again, Mike was asked to come to the table with five alternative picks for Carter's running mate and for Ford's running mate. Even though Ford is the incumbent, he's never had to choose a running mate before, so we're treating him like he's special. I've got the same, and then we'll unpack, you know, whether these are good picks, bad picks, and why. You want to kick us off with your number five for Carter, Mike? Sure. So I chose Lloyd Benson, senator from Texas. He, he's very much a centrist. So when I was initially, I was surprised, I don't know if you were when I was doing research for this, but I feel like the popular perception of Jimmy Carter is that he's one of the our more like liberal presidents. Mm. And he's got this very sort of like internationalist humanitarian kind of reputation, but it turns out a lot of people in 1976 thought he would be too conservative and he was considered a moderate. Well, like the um, ABC folks, the yeah, Western yeah. Jerry Brown um, people. And so I, I, I made this Lloyd Benson selection as a little bit of a mistake because I was I was thinking of like, oh yeah, Carter's like super liberal, right? And then I was doing more research, I was like, oh, never mind, he wasn't. I chose, I, but I, I did cho choose Benson because he's a centrist. He's from Texas, which is obviously a huge state, and you know, it would probably de help deliver Texas for Carter. And it's very close. Yeah, yeah, and it just I just feel like it, it bolsters their appeal to conservatives, right? To conservatives in the party. But he still has, like, labor bona fide, so he's, he's kind of like a, a New Deal Democrat in some ways. Just, yeah, guy from a big state who would, of course, you know, go on to do big things in the Democratic Party. He would become Secretary of the Treasury, if memory serves. And, and he'll I, be back. And he will be a vice yes, president. Yes, he will, he will be, but yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll put Dan Quayle in his place. <laughs> <laughs> eh, well, he will, but it won't work. No. So I do like Benson... Like, his experience is really good to complement Carter's. Mm -hmm. 
I feel like picking someone else from the South yeah. is a no-no. That's why he's my number five. Like, if I were to pick someone from the South, he seems obvious, because it's, mm-hmm. like, a big state. He's got the experience that Carter doesn't have. If I were to plug him into my, like, VP tracker generator formula, I'm sure he would come out, because mm-hmm. it separates Texas from the rest of the South. But, yeah, I think that's what bumped him for me. I, I thought about him, too. Mm-hmm. Being considered more of a centrist is interesting. I kind of went in a similar tone, but in a very different direction. Mm-hmm. Geographically speaking, I went with Mike Mansfield. He's the Senate Majority Leader, and he's a senator from Montana at the time. For the same like experience reasons, like this is the kind of Washington like insider pick that you might not want unless you are like a very distinct outsider who would need some help. It does kind of scream, "I need help," but like <laughs> Mansfield is kind of a steady hand in unsteady times. You know, he's he's got this history of bipartisanship and working with the Nixon administration. So this kind of gives him credibility with like disgruntled Republicans who are like, wow, Nixon and Ford really like screwed up the party. Who can we work with? You know, he's, he's, he's Western. I think that's good. Carter would eventually name him ambassador to Japan, which is actually a very big ambassadorship at the time. I, do, I, I will concede that I think this pick like continues hashing out the issues of a decade ago, Vietnam, Great Society programs, etc., which is probably not the direction they want to go. And that's why he's my number five. Yeah, and I think th- there's an argument to be made that like maybe you need that bridge to the past, right, to sort of wean the Democrats onto Carter, you know, that that kind of steady hand. I I don't love the idea of nominating your your Senate Majority Leader. I just feel like it's it's we we, we kind of talk about this a lot off air, yeah. where it, it's just like it's a messy role. They're they're really involved in like the sausage making process, and it's just like a lot of like just shit is flung your way. Yeah. And I think that makes it difficult when you're running for a higher office because you're a known quantity. And I think being a known quantity actually in this case is an asset mm. because Carter wasn't a known quantity. But I also think it, it takes away a degree of mystique and, I guess, possibility in, in, in some sense. You, you, have, you have a record that can be held against you. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's kind of different now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. I feel like it probably changed with, like, Gingrich. Yeah. It's like, I feel like majority, like, you would never put Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer on a ticket, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like it used to be more of a thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, Dole was the majority leader when he was running for president. Right, right. So, uh, yeah. But, like, I, yeah, I think, yeah, experience. We refer to another pick further down the list as, like, a Joe biden pick. This is also kind of a Joe biden pick, mm. where he's kind yeah. of, like, a party stalwart, but he's from, like, a small state. This is, like, an aside, but, like, doing this research, it's, like, what was it about, like, the 60s and 70s that made, like, Idaho, Montana, and the Dakotas <laughs> bastions of liberalism when they're as red as red gets nowadays? Yeah. Hey, Montana's turning around. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Full of 2020. But, I don't know, it's just very interesting to me how that kind of... I, mean, I guess this is like, sort of like a vestige of, like, the populist movements of, like, the late 19th or late 20th century. But, I don't yeah. know, it's just very interesting to me yeah. how much things have changed. It's kind of like its own what's, in, what's the matter of Kansas thing. Yeah. I mean, it would go red in this election. Yeah. Cool. Who's your number four? Number four, I have Birch Bay. Bay, not Bay. Bay. <laughs> he's a liberal icon. He's a nemesis of Nixon. He's he's he was a, a very 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 vocal supporter of the ERA. He's considered the father of Title Nine. Just like an absolute sort of icon, with <laughs> Queen, <laughs> an icon of uh, the Democratic Party. I, I picked him because he he sort of I I think checked a few boxes that Carter can't check unabashedly liberal which i think helps him with the abc folks but he's also like an experienced senator so i I think he's able to both give carter like the experience and the liberal credentials that helps him a lot more in the convention than i think it does in the general election you know i would think that he would energize maybe i'm making kind of mcgovern gambit by saying this but maybe he would energize like the younger voters who had been sort of like all about the anti-war movement, things like that. Another important thing to notice, we talk a lot about connections to Kennedy and the Kennedy assassination. Worth knowing that Birch Bay saved Ted Kennedy's life. Really? They were, in 1964, they were involved in a plane crash, and he pulled out Ted Kennedy from the wreckage of the crash. What? Always a good thing to say you were connected to a Kennedy or saved one, if you're a Democrat. Uh, Ted Kennedy. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Ironic, yes, that he never did pay it forward when he <laughs> right, was saved right. from the wreckage of the crash. Huh. Uh, no comment. Uh. Yeah, I, I actually like the way he looks with Carter. <laughs> um, I think he's got kind of a VP look. He's he's mm-hmm. kind of like young, energetic looking. 
He's very, he reminds me a lot of, I'm going to pull a name out of a hat, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> but like, kind of. Because he's also from Indiana. Because he's from Indiana. <laughs> you know, people talked a lot about how like, Buttigieg is moderate, but he's like a reformer. He's like, he wants to change the Electoral College. He mm. wants to change the Constitution. He wants to do this to the Supreme Court. Birch is the same way. He like put forward amendments to change the Electoral College. He's way ahead of his time. He is the only non-founding father to have authored two constitutional amendments. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's definitely like a visionary, even though he's just like a guy. Yeah. And he was effective too. Like he he passed like landmark legislation about like prison reform for like juvenile offenders. He defeated two of Nixon's nominees to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. He's he, he he got stuff done. And he ran. He ran in 1976. He did, yes. Yeah, I I mean, Indiana's not like a close state in this one, but I do think, I think he's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that one. The the thing is, he was, you know, as much as I think his liberalism could help him, in some ways it also, I think, would, he was very much in support of abortion, and, uh, which, 1976, I think, was sort of a, uh, not that it's not a thorny issue now, but probably even, just mix that in with all his other, like, liberal stuff, and you could easily paint a... If you were if you were so inclined, you could paint a. You, you, it'd be easy to vilify him in certain communities. Right, he'd kind of work better as like a Democrat now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. I went with my perennial pick, <laughs> Sergeant Shriver. He, you may recall, was the director of the Office of Economic Opportunity and the Ambassador to France. He's kind of the guy behind the Peace Corps. I think I just really want Shriver to be VP. I just love the way that he looks as like in the White House. You know, he was related to the Kennedys just a wholesome dude he's very handsome he'd been the running mate for the emergency running mate for mcgovern last time but he's like an idealist foreign policy human services pick from the vietnam era and i think that like goes with carter better than it went last time because mm-hmm. I, I i shriver carter makes sense as like a foreign policy idealist america can be so great if we just treat each other nice mm. ticket yeah and he's it's interesting because he is kind of the right kind of an insider where he's a bureaucrat who gets to put his stamp on a lot of sort of like positive things like who no one hates the peace corps right right no one is going to be upset about like diplomacy or some people will be but you know what i mean and and he's like an insider but he's no one who's ever had to play like who he's he's never had to like run for election right outside when he was nominated for vice presidency and like he never really had to get like down in the mud with anyone else so even if you're looking for an outsider he's like an insider he's like i can show carter the ropes because i was able to keep my nose clean while i was in washington with with all that being said i think my rebuttal is just that he's just like like how many people before he ran for vice president like knew who sergeant shriver was i don't actually know because i wasn't alive and i didn't do polling on this but it just it just seems like a very like wonky pick it, it, it i don't is. know i feel like he'd be nominated like susan rice for vice president nowadays and it's just like who like I don't think a lot of people know who Susan Rice is. I, I don't yeah. think the average person like know like knows who Susan Rice is. But you don't and know I, who she is until you know. You know. Yeah. yeah the average yeah. person didn't know who Tim Kaine was. That's true. That's true. Didn't know who Sarah oh, Palin was. <laughs> that's that's very true. <laughs> Neither did the people running the McCain campaign apparently. But <laughs> well, yeah. And he was Arnold Schwarzenegger's father-in-law. That's true. <laughs> that's nuts. <laughs> I mean, not yet. Yeah. But. Okay. Number three. Yeah, number three, I had Milton Schapp. He's the governor of Pennsylvania. Um, Milton Schapp did run uh, for the nomination. He's like a pretty liberal guy, but he's from a purple state. He's actually the spiritual founder of the Peace Corps. He, it's been suggested, (laughs) suggested to Kennedy to found the Peace Corps. He brings those Kennedy bona fides we love, or at least I love so much, to, you know, Carter the Outsider's campaign. And he, he handled a lot, of, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of difficult stuff while he was governor. There was, there was a state financial crisis he was able to navigate through. To me, he is the sort of example of, like, effective liberal governance. He is kind of an example that liberalism, this sort of, like, post-Vietnam version of liberalism can work. And I'm in, in, like, a very big and important state. And, it you know, it, Pennsylvania was a closed state. Carr did win it, but, you know, maybe this would help seal the deal. To me, he's just, like, he's an effective governor, and he's a bona fide liberal. And to me, that, that that's a really good combination where but if, if you're a liberal who's worried Carter's too centrist, he, he gives him that. 
And if you're a someone who's a little more undecided and you're worried that Carter doesn't have enough experience, I would have to assume that the Carter presidency was like the most liberal presidency up to that point. It's got to be up there. Depends how you define like, yeah. like maybe I guess like Roosevelt given the New Deal. Maybe like hindsight's poisoning the way I'm thinking about this. But like it's, it's like if, if you're skeptical about liberalism and don't know if it can work and are just used to sort of, like, uh, Republicans being in the White House for the past eight years, and you want to see, like, an example of it being effective, you would look to Pennsylvania to look to Nolan Shap. What I don't like about him, mm. <laughs> he has no federal experience at all, and mm. this would be the only post-war presidential ticket with zero federal experience between the two candidates. I think that kills this. I think that's fair. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really see the party going for it. I, yeah. I, I just think that's, like... I think that's kind of scary. I mean, that would scare me. Mm-hmm. Why? What's the argument for that? I think the argument for that is is double down on the outsiderness of it. Those rascals in Washington haven't done anything good. They got us into Vietnam. They tanked our economy. They're starting to tank our economy. The president was a crook. Let's throw them all out. Let's go for a completely new slate. Get 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 people from people from America. People who aren't sitting in their ivory towers in Washington. People from the good blue-collar communities of Pennsylvania and Georgia. Let's put them in charge. Let's give the people a voice in Washington. Yeah. Carter Schaap, 76. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> again, and I don't think that... Again, I don't think that works with the party. I don't... I, yeah. I, I Like, thinking about it now, it's like, I don't think the party is okay with that. I think that they would want someone with... Like, someone who is probably has more ties to the national parties, I guess. Yeah. You are correct, by the way. Carter is the most liberal post-war president, according to the Washington Post. Um, Cool. I went with the infinitely more federally experienced (laughs) Bill Proxmire, senator from Wisconsin. It was a very close state. Went under 2% for Carter. He succeeded Joseph McCarthy in his seat, and he called Joseph McCarthy a disgrace to Wisconsin, the Senate, and to America. He just seems like a profound realist, but kind of like a righteous one, but like not in an inspiring way. Like Carter is, he's like not a fan of NASA spending. He wants to like reduce mm. pork barrel spending. He like wants budgetary restraints. He's like America shouldn't do these things. We should just stop. <laughs> but like maybe this Midwestern realism balances nicely against Carter's Southern idealism plus federal experience. Take that Milton. Yeah, no, I get that. I think my thing is that if you think Carter is too moderate, then what are you going to think of Bill Proxmire? You think he's cool? <laughs> I, I, my, my point is, it, it seems like it seems like a... I think Walter Mondale is a very good pick from Jimmy Carter, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of it's like a little hard to, to, to do better. And I think that Proxmire just like... He just kind of does like the opposite a little bit of what Mondale is. Which is like, yes, he has federal experience, but he doesn't afford Carter with the liberal credentials that maybe some people are looking for. But he was, like, against a lot of, like, wasteful military programs. He was, yeah, no. His, he, he was a fundamentalist when it came to wasteful spending. Yeah, which uh, I like. I admire that in a actual budget hawk. Yes, I agree. I'm like the, <laughs> unlike the fake ones like uh, Rand Paul. Yeah. I also just kind of like that he looks like a 50s television, like, <laughs> Twilight Zone character. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot. I just, uh, I just, I, I, I can see it. Maybe you want, like, a realist. Yeah. And regionally, it makes sense. He's got a lot of experience. I see... It's like 60% of the equations there. Yeah. Um, it's my understanding we have the top two the exact same. Yes. Why don't you tell us about our number two? <laughs> number two, we uh, picked Frank Church, who we were talking about earlier. Um, senator from Idaho. He was a member of the sort of ABC coalition. And he's an avowed progressive, representing one of the most conservative states in the country. I picked him because I feel, felt like he would help boost Carter's profile among those Democrats who found him too moderate, which has become kind of a theme of my picks. And again, like, he, he lends him the federal experience as well. Idaho wasn't a strategically important state, but this is the one we said we could, it was going to be Joe biden right? Right. This idea of, like, someone who's, who's, who's been doing it a long time, who is ideologically sound, a name people know and probably, perhaps trust. Hmm. Even, even if he doesn't give you, like, Texas or California... He's he, he's just you know he's he's a, a steady hand for like a, a younger sort of less experienced outsidery candidate. I mean he's the name behind the church committee, which like investigated like intelligence community abuses as well. I like that he's in kind with Carter like ideologically like he's an uh, environmentalist. He's got 
Like, the Sunshine Act was his thing. It's a government transparency thing. But he's got, like, a lot of federal experience and, like, a lot of foreign policy knowledge. You know, he was on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Yeah, it's not a competitive state, but, like, with such a large Democratic majority in the Senate, you can actually kind of afford this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I forgot to point out that Milton Schaap also passed Sunshine Laws in Pennsylvania in the wake of Watergate, so. Mm. Anyway, should we move on to our joint number one pick now? Or are you still still churching? No, I'm happy. Okay, cool. Uh, Number one, we selected Senator John Glenn. Yes. Of Ohio, also, of course, a retired astronaut and Marine veteran. I picked him, I think, less for his accomplishments as a politician, because he was pretty green at this point, right? He he was elected to the Senate in 74. He took the seat at the end of 74. Yeah. Right, right. But to me, this is post-Vietnam, this is post-Watergate. People are not feeling very good about their country. They're not feeling very good about their government. Who do you want to make people feel good about their country again? A goddamn astronaut. He represents an era of American strength and optimism that would have felt far away in this world. For people who were turned off by the more liberal currents of the moder- of modern Democrats, he represents an un- he's, he's an uncomplicated man to admire. Yeah. You have to say there's not a lot of copies that come of why you like John Glenn. You like John Glenn because he fought in a war and because he went to space. I think astronauts are some of our like last pure heroes in this world. Yeah, and like the space program, one of like. The clearest victories in American history, I would say, thus far, right? In the post-war mm. era, where it's like, we lost Vietnam, Watergate was a debacle. The Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act were passed, but that wasn't without, like, sort of, like, a lot of infighting and, and really tearing parts of the nation asunder. The space program, everybody could get behind. Everybody loved it. The way I think about the space program... This was after last summer when there was the 50th anniversary of the moon landing event at the National Mall that we went to. Mm. And I was talking with somebody about it, and they said that, like, the phrase Make America Again has obviously been co-opted for, like, very toxic and and sort of bad reasons. But, like, what, what it should mean is, like, the space program. Mm. Like, that should be the greatness we aspire to go space back Force. to. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> when, when people say Make America Great Again, what they should be thinking of is how we push the outer limits and John Glenn to me just encapsulates that it's just such a like I have a whole article on this on the postwriter.com but it's such like an objective like good that doesn't hurt anyone mm-hmm. it's like the only thing that we do just to do it mm-hmm. it's like we're not trying to screw anyone out of something I mean except stealing the moon like we did <laughs> um but it's like we're just doing it because like we're humans and we want to and we think we can do great things mm-hmm. it is so inspiring um yeah. Before all of that, Ohio was decided by 0.25%. Yeah. It's the second closest state. I think Oregon went by like 0.1%. But it's huge. It's 25 electoral votes. So let's start with that. That's great. Yeah. Also, he happens to be an astronaut. <laughs> like, no national baggage. You know, he entered politics in 74. And it's like, Republicans often steal this guise of, like, patriotism. I don't understand why the Democratic Party doesn't talk about John Glenn more. This is like a big deal. John Glenn was a Democratic senator, and I don't understand why we don't talk about this more. Mm-hmm. It like kind of reaffirms how I feel about the Democratic Party, like in a good way. Yeah. And he's there for a long time. He's there till uh, 99. Mm-hmm. That's like a hero. It's like mm-hmm. a hero ticket. Plus Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he like nominated Lindbergh for president, but he's actually not <laughs> racist. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit of analysis by counting names. So nine out of our ten picks, Mike, mm-hmm. are federal picks. Mm-hmm. I will say John Glenn doesn't have like a lot of federal experience. No, no, no. They are all senators other than Shriver and Shep. Yeah. I think we have very strong feelings about what it should be. Right. We're very in, we're in agreement on mm-hmm. that. Carter actually considered Jesus once again Edmund Muskie. Maybe he deserves to be vice president at this point. Eli Stevenson the third. Um, I had no idea there was a third. <laughs> right? Uh, I like researched him. I was like, oh, maybe I should put him on my list. No, he's really not that interesting. He's just a name, a losing name. Well, we'll talk about just a name when we get to one of my uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ford picks, which I did not vet enough, but go on. Carter actually considered John Glenn as well, so that's exciting. Considered Henry Scoop Jackson and Peter Rodino. Congressman from New York. All right, let's power through to those Ford picks. All right. Want want me to start on this one? Sure. My number five pick is 
Robert Ray. <laughs> he was the governor of Iowa. He's kind of the governor of the governors. Who governs the governors? <laughs> um, he does. He was the chair of the National Governors Association at the time. He also uh, promotes uh, promoted civil rights in Iowa, and he seems like an all-around nice guy. I don't really have a lot to say about him, and in hindsight, I kind of think Ford needs someone more conservative or sparky, but I, I do like the idea of picking a governor for Ford, and this seemed like one of the better ones. Yeah, I would agree. He, he's, um, he's kind of an outsider, I guess, because he's in Iowa. Right. Um, he's not tainted by Watergate, which mm-hmm. I think Ford is, and he needs yeah. to like clean up his game. Passed the Iowa Burials Protection Act, which protected American Indian remains. That's interesting. He accepted refugees into Iowa. He seems pretty like moderate. Yeah. As a which I think if you're trying to win a national election is not is not a bad uh, route to go. I, I could see a world in which he's like too liberal for like the Reaganites. Yeah. But he also could be I think like a Bob Dole esque pick where he's not controversial. At least he might not be controversial. Everyone can just like get get behind him. He's just he's just like a a solid guy who, who who people have obviously elected to office in the past and might do so again. Right. Like I I don't see him losing. Anything. He just mm-hmm. seems like oh yeah that's that's a good guy. Yeah. 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 But he's number five. Mm-hmm. What, what about you? So I went back to the well on this one and selected our old friend John Connolly, former governor of Texas, former treasury of the secretary, and you may have heard was sitting next to John F. Kennedy when he was shot and was actually shot himself. We already talked a lot about him. He's a former Democrat. He's from Texas, which is a big and close state. He's a moderate, but he has enough of a conservative image that he can siphon off Southern Democrats who may have felt Carter was a little too liberal. I think as far as things that have hurt him, he's like a Nixon pal. He became a Republican essentially because of Nixon, I think you could argue. Like he founded Democrats for Nixon. But, you know, I think he's, he's a big name. I think the Kennedy connection helps. Also, like, you know, I think about, like, the Reagan's Raiders. They were all from Texas. Like, Mm. Texas was a Reagan-y state. You know, people knew who Connolly was, and they seemed to like him. And even though Ford wasn't that popular, maybe maybe that helps. Are you aware that he was indicted in 1974, Mike? I was not. (laughs) Um, He was acquitted, but still. What was he indicted for? Um, Pocketing $10,000 for influencing the milk price. (laughs) So, yeah, so there's that. I think you get reputational damage with Nixon. I also think you get reputational damage from your economic policies. The economy is not so great right now. You know, there was the Nixon shock after the Bretton Woods system fell apart. We moved away from the gold standard internationally under Nixon. And then there were the like price controls and he was the treasury secretary plus the indictment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a very, it just would remind people of like Nixon and how everyone who worked for Nixon got indicted. <laughs> And that the economy's not good. It, like, hits Ford on, like, every weakness he has. Yeah, I (laughs) guess so. it distracts it from Ford, so then Ford can be like, oh, it's not me, it's Connolly. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually glad that I'm president, not this guy (laughs) who would be president if I died. It's why he's number five. I I couldn't resist. I don't know. He needs Texas. He would have been cool, like, ten years ago. Yeah. Okay. Number four, I have yet another governor. I have Daniel Evans, the governor of Washington. He's a Republican, but in 1968, he refused to support Richard Nixon. He was, like, steadfastly loyal to Rockefeller. So he's kind of a Republican before everything went to hell. Mm. And, you know, this means he's kind of immune from, like, the Watergate fallout that a lot of more national Republicans would not be. He's also, like, environmentally friendly. He supports higher education, community colleges, and state income tax. He's considered one of the best governors of the 20th century, Mike. There was, like, a minor scandal about Ted Bundy in him. (laughs) But other than that, like, he's from a totally geographically different area of the country where Ford is, like, running in narrow margins in the West Coast. Yeah, once again, this is definitely a more, like, liberal Republican. Mm. But it's kind of giving you the Rockefeller vibe without getting Rockefeller. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think this is a, a, pre, a pretty decent pick. There is part of me that like wonders: is he too liberal to unite the Republican Party behind the Ford ticket? That would be the concern to me. You know, other than that, I, I think I think it's a pretty uh, good pick. Yeah, I mean, like Nixon founded the EPA. Yeah, he does, he does like a lot of good stuff. The, the Ted Bundy thing is funny, where it's like Ted Bundy was like a campaign aide, right? Yeah, and also he was able to become a campaign aide because he lied about being a college student. 
Yeah, and he, like, kind of had a close relationship with the governor. Yeah. It's just, like, a weird 70s problem. <laughs> it is a very 70s <laughs> problem. I mean, Ted Bundy, they always say he was very charming. He was a sociopath who just, like, made a lot of people do stuff. Yeah. Uh, he didn't know. No. How, how would you know? Yeah. So, seems like a guy who would be a very good vice president, even president. I do wonder, though, about how, how, how the Reaganites would feel. Like, if they were so angry that Reagan picked a liberal governor, a liberal Republican governor, like, how are they going to feel when Ford does it? They're going to vote for him anyway. I guess. I kind of so. think. All right, who, who you got? So I picked, I don't like this pick. I'll just get out in front of it. I picked Robert Taft Jr. He's a scion of the Taft family that, of course, produced William Howard Taft. He was a, a, a senator from Ohio beginning in 1971. So before the Voting Rights Act, I didn't realize this was this recent, like, states were allowed, states were allowed to have at-large congressional districts that only, yeah. you know, it's like, obviously now, like, Montana is a small enough population that they have an at-large congressional district. But Ohio, which had certainly enough people to have actual congressional districts, also had an at-large district. Yeah. He's an at-large congressman from Ohio. So his office was eliminated by the Voting Rights Act. But he also won in Ohio's first district in 1966. He's a name, I guess. He's been around. He's, I, I picked him basically. It's like he, he really doesn't have a record, which is not a good thing. But if you're trying to wash off the Nixon stink, maybe it's not a bad thing. He's just kind of like a dark horse. Like, if you're trying to, to bridge a gap, so like, let's just pick... He actually, in a way... Um, so I, I read this book called Gang of Five, which was about sort of the rise of the modern day... Well, modern as of, like, the mid-2000s uh, conservative movement. And I talk about how Dan Quayle was this guy... Like, they chose Dan Quayle because he was young and uncontroversial, and then that let the sort of like further right wing of the Republican Party kind of like sink their hooks into him and try to shape him to be their candidate because they thought Bush was too moderate. Mm. I see them kind of doing this with Taft. So it's just like kind of like some fresh meat you get to throw to the conservatives be like, have this guy do what you want him to do yeah. and we, we can work it out from there. I, I admit this is not a great pick, but he, he's got the name. He's got experience. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, he kind of just seems... I mean, you say he's got experience, but he hasn't done anything. He's exactly. He's kind of been yeah. in Congress like a while, but he's done nothing. Yeah, yeah. The at-large congressional seat thing's I think it's like a brief aside, but it's interesting because it's like I feel like now it would be a more like liberal voting rights thing to do is to start having like at-large districts with like proportional elections or whatever. Mm. It's weird that it's like the Civil Rights Act that stopped that. Of how it yeah, it's almost like an anti-gerrymandering thing. Right. My um, guess is, I, I'm sure there were ways that, like, the Jim Crow states were circumventing it, is yeah. my guess. Yeah. Um, I, I don't actually know. But. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just feel like he hasn't done anything. Yeah, that's completely an And favorite. I don't see why the incumbent president has to be like, oh, I need someone famous on the ticket. I'm not famous <laughs> enough. That's certainly <laughs> fair as well. All right, for my number three, I don't really have a good reason, but I just really like this guy. <laughs> Another governor, the governor of Missouri, Kit Bond. Bond. Great name. Kit Bond. It is a great, great name. name. He's just, like, got the look, and he's, like, young. He's a governor. He's, like, cool. He's kind of moderate. He supported the Equal Rights Amendment. I just really, I think this is the first person who I just really like him as, like, a physical pair. I feel like they look really good together. I just, like, I, I just wish he was, like, a guy still. Like, I wish I could, like, look at this guy. <laughs> I'm making it sound weird. But I just I just think, like, like Ford Bond just seems like a great ticket. Mm -hmm. It's for, like, aesthetic reasons, as well as the fact that this guy's, like, a governor, once again, untainted by Washington and Watergate, etc. So he's my number three. Like, I don't have, like, I don't know that he brings a lot. I just think he, like, it, it's kind of like a Paul Ryan pick. It's like, this, this is just, like, a guy that you can admire mm -hmm. and look at. And look at him with me. If he thinks I'm cool, I must be cool. <laughs> but, like, kind of. Yeah, I think he he's, 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 he's a good counter to Carter in that he's, like, a... I don't know if you call him... There's debate over whether or not you'd consider Missouri the South or not. Mm -hmm. But he is a youngish governor of a, like, at the very least, a rural state. Right. I do think, you know, as much as Taft just straight up didn't have a record, this guy does have a record, and there, he's, he's fresh. I think if you're yeah. 40, you're looking for fresh. And you're looking for clean. Um, and, and Kit Bond is fresh, so fresh and so clean. <laughs> Fun fact about Kit Bond, he... This is about his residency? 
No, I didn't. Oh. I did read that though. Where they, they, their, his residency was challenged, and wasn't the decision of the court that like, well, you don't literally have to be a resident. You just have to intend to be a right, resident, which seems like a problem. It does. <laughs> yeah. I, we should go run for governor of Missouri. That'd exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I would accept the University of Missouri, which is true. It's like I could, I could do that. He rescinded the like Mormon extermination order. Oh yeah. That yeah. was issued in 1838 by a governor named Lilburn Boggs, which. Sounds like a terrible thing to do to Mormons, but what a name. Lilburn Boggs. So they were killing Mormons in Missouri up till 1976, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah. I don't, I don't actually know. It, it, basically, they, they, they had, like, authority to, like, yeah, kick Mormons out of Missouri. And it may have cost him the election. He lost re-election that year, too. Mm. He eventually had a solidly long career in the Senate. Yeah. Cool. Your number three. My number three is Ronald Reagan. I've never heard of him, former governor of California. And a great actor. Yeah, <laughs> icon, uh, father figure to Bonzo. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the, the reasons for this, I think, are obvious, right? The party's divided. Why not bring it together? Why not unify? Why not make everybody happy? You pick Reagan. You say, maybe you say, I'll only serve for one more term. And, you know, you, you get, Reagan clearly is bringing energy to the Republican Party. He's clearly bringing in a base and that's hard to replace that that kind of energy and, and i would assume organization as well there are some weaknesses here one is that it was such a bitter campaign i don't know that if reagan would take it yeah um, i don't think reagan would say yes yeah when i was watching the interview with jim baker he was saying that's like yeah i think that if ford went with rockefeller or reagan there's a very good chance he would have won he also said that he was speaking with reagan like years later and he was like you know mr president if you if you had ran on the vp ticket with ford you probably would not have been elected president he's like yeah i know yeah, I don't think it makes it doesn't literally make a lot of sense from Reagan's perspective. But from Ford's perspective, you you get this guy who everyone's excited about and who is from a very big state. Just uh, I, I I will Reagan is strong everywhere that Ford is not. It's like Ford is kind of strong with like the Midwest and like the northern like northeastern Republicans, and Reagan is strong in like the West. I just yeah I do, I feel like he says no. I, I could mm-hmm. never see Reagan, especially because when it looked like the de- like at the time of the conventions, it was like, oh, the Democrats are probably going to beat Ford. Mm-hmm. It didn't actually like narrow until the general was toward the end. I feel like Reagan's going to be like, yeah, no. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. It's kind of what I feel if Trump had been offering vice presidential picks to like more aspirational Republicans than Mike Pence. They would be like, yeah, no. <laughs> and you're off like Rubio or Cruz or even like Paul Ryan. Right. They would have been like, yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they thought he was going to lose. Boy, are they idiots. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's why I didn't put him. I just, I honestly could not convince myself that he would say yes. <laughs> yeah. I was also, while I was watching these interviews, like, one of the guys was just like, yeah, like, you know, after the convention, obviously, like, all the people working on the Reagan campaign needed jobs, so a lot of them worked for the Ford campaign, and even then, like, the Ford and Reagan people, like, hated each other. Yeah. Like, they, did, they did not work well together. So, again, it's like, the equation makes sense, but I think the reality is much more complicated speaking of that my number two pick is nelson rockefeller Mm. who was the vice president at the time true um he was also the former governor of new york i just like feel like duh Mm -hmm. um ford himself like went out and said later in his life he was like not keeping rockefeller on the ticket was one of the biggest mistakes and like one of the few most cowardly things i've ever done in my life he like pandered to the right and i totally agree like i actually feel like you keep Rockefeller on the ticket and it like works it would have worked is New York has 41 electoral votes at this time it is decided by about 4.5 percent would have given the election to Ford it's the only state that Ford can win that can throw the election to him Mm -hmm. and like Rockefeller is kind of the only big Republican in the state at the time and he's also the like and I feel like dropping him from the ticket actually makes Ford seem flaky and not in control Mm -hmm. and if he had kept him this election like I actually think this would have changed the election and I'm not sure my number one pick or any of my other picks would have changed it I just think it would have been better yeah I I thought about adding Rockefeller I didn't because of what I didn't pick Rockefeller because officially he decided he didn't want to run again, but really he that because he knew that it would make Ford's life more difficult, right? Right. It wasn't necessarily that he didn't want to be vice president. It was that, like, he didn't want Ford to lose, right. which is why he didn't re-up. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think Rockefeller seems like a righteous dude. Yeah, kind of like everything you said, it makes a lot of sense. You're, you're not acting from a position of strength when you're like, I need to replace my second-in-command. Right. It just, there's nothing, like... You know, if, like Nixon in 72, Reagan in 84, Clinton in 96, if you want to make... Like, 
like it just you could be you you could have an approval rating of like 80 percent the economy could be gangbusters um you could have just won a war against the ussr itself it just is always gonna look bad right it makes you look like you're out of control and like not able to manage it mm-hmm. and like that there's drama behind the scenes it like it invites drama I just it's like all of that plus the fact that this is the only state that can throw the election to four just make this kind of a no-brainer for me yeah, yeah. there's a world in which rockefeller is still like yeah i really just don't want to do it but i but like you said and you kind of talked about this in your like walkthrough is it was more just like a courtesy it's like it just seemed like ford was like hedging so rockefeller was like okay well i don't have to and i'll back out and obviously ford regretted this and just should have asked mm-hmm. my favorite story about rockefeller in the 76 campaign is that when he was campaigning for Ford, he was getting heckled, and he just flipped off his hecklers. And because there was a picture that was, like, printed a bunch of places. I think that's funny. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, and I also just, I feel like this has implications for what would happen. It's like, mm-hmm. let, like Rockefeller, when former Republicans talk about what they used to, they're like, I was a Rockefeller. Like, he's a whole race of Republicans, mm-hmm. or ex-Republicans probably now. And imagine if they actually, probably pretty realistically, had won. Mm. So Reagan's not coming back. Ford could potentially be reelected twice. Mm. Uh, history would have ch- the Republican Party would have been so fundamentally different if he would just put Nelson Rockefeller on the ticket, and that's why this podcast matters. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, I went with Thad Cochran, congressman from Mississippi. He's only the second ever Republican to be elected from Mississippi to Congress. Most of his constituents had never been represented by a Republican before in Congress. Like Connolly, he's a former Southern Democrat, um, but he's younger and he doesn't really have the, the Nixon stink. He didn't have quite the profiles of Paul Ryan. He didn't really have the sort of demographic novelty of, say, Geraldine Ferraro. But I think that he is a decent pick in that he is, he seems like he's beginning to kind of like crack the code a little bit, right? He is a Republican who found a way to win in the Deep South. In, in a state that was mostly going Democrat anyway. I, I, I What I think Ford wants to do is just kind of like bring him in. He's like, tell tell me your secrets. Why and like what what can we do to win the South away from Carter? Like Nixon did it. Like what what can we do? What what, what can we do? And just like, I, I think it's, it's, it's a sort of like, if you're a Southerner who doesn't like Carter, but who's, you know, been in a state that's voted Democrat for the past like 100 years, it gives you an interesting alternative. It sort of plays to a region that and that that was just becoming within reach of the Republicans again. I do think he's kind of a Paul Ryan pick. He's also like pretty like attractive looking when he's like, <laughs> in that. like he's just like a very like handsome, mm-hmm. fresh guy. He's only been in Congress three years at this point. This is true. That's like <laughs> that's that's incredibly low. It is. No no running mate has ever had less experience than him in the post war era i feel like people would be like I, he won big in 1974 in the 1974 midterm mm. um for a republican after watergate which i think is a big deal he won he added six percent of that in 76 he he figured something out right i like the idea of putting carter on the run in his home turf but i feel like you kind of need a heavier hitter sure like if only there were like republican governors in the south at this time which there are. What a segue. <laughs> segue to my number one pick is James Holzhauser, not the Jeopardy player. <laughs> he's the governor of North Carolina, so he's got like a load of state experience in North Carolina before becoming governor. You know, he's young, he's performed very well with women and young voters. He's not as conservative as many other Republicans, but he still represents the South, which of course Carter would sweep. You know, he's not really, he's not afraid to, like, buck the conservatives in the Republican Party. He, like, supported Ford pretty staunchly in 1976. Maybe loyalty means something to Ford in this election. The North Carolina state delegation, which you said had gone for Reagan, mm-hmm. like, kind of famously, like, refused to send the sitting governor as a delegate to the RNC that year because of his, like, anti-Reagan beliefs. But he still got all that done as governor. He achieved, like, statewide kindergarten. He set up a ton of, like, rural health clinics. Here he is. A Southern Republican governor, unmarred by Watergate, who, like, has the look and can get it done. Mm-hmm. He's the first Republican elected governor in North Carolina since 1896. And it's like, he's the sign of what's coming, but he's, like, way more moderate about it. Mm-hmm. I just really like him. Yeah, I know. He seems really, like, between him and Terry Sanford, what was it about governors of North Carolina that right. just seemed, like, perfect for uh, the VP slot? 
Yeah, I know. I think this is a really good... I actually think this is, like, a very good pick. Again, I, I do think the one thing to consider is the... How, how much is this going to piss off Reaganites... I don't think my pick for number one is going to do much better in that regard, but I, I I don't I also don't mind doubling down on the moderate side of things, especially because like Ford, like I said already, is like pretty conservative and just got the reputation as a moderate because well a he took some, he, he took a lot of moderate actions while he's president, and b he was just not as conservative as Reagan was. Mm. Like he was a he he was a thorn in Lyndon B. Johnson's side um, when he was in Congress, but anyway, mm. yeah no I I've, I don't have like a ton to add. I think yeah regionally it makes sense ideologically it makes some sense and just i think yeah like aesthetically i think it makes sense too or it's right. it's like it's just republican carter basically yeah and i don't actually know a ton about carter's pre-presidential resume but it seems like he possibly even more accomplished than carter at this yeah. point cool so my number one is john anderson congressman from illinois he was kind of he, he was he actually was initially very conservative he, he tried to introduce a constitutional amendment that would quote recognize the law and authority of jesus christ over the united states that did not gain a lot of traction um one thing we are pretty good in the united states is the separation of church and state but he, he he soldiered on and he actually evolved a lot he became kind of the prototypical social liberal and fiscal conservative and my thinking here is that if carter's strength was that he was an outsider and an independent voice Anderson could act as kind of a counter. He was a, he was very critical of Nixon in Vietnam. He he and he he's like a true outsider. He's a true maverick, if you will. And I, I think that that kind of outsideriness. He looks sort of like a little bit like Chris Wallace or Chris Wallace, or actually like I can see like Chris Parnell playing him in a movie. Mm. This this like kind of a little like nerdy, but also kind of like zany in a way. Like you 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 really want to go sort of like towards the Rockefeller wing. Like he he he's a perfect place to start. Again, like, weakness is that that would very much upset the Reagan crowd. Dinerson very famously ran as an independent in 1980 because he didn't like Reagan. But kind of a heterodox pick. But I, I think, you know, taking this kind of a big swing. Um, and again, someone who's as much an outsider in 76, given the climate, I think is not a bad idea. Illinois is a very close state, too. Mm-hmm. I, I think he becomes more interesting later in life than he is at this point. Mm-hmm. Becomes like very not out there, but like you know he endorsed Ralph Nader, mm-hmm. and like he's behind like fair vote. He's like now behind like a lot of like proportional and like oh, runoff. He's dead now. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. he was <laughs> like he, a lot of like electoral reform yeah. stuff. He won like a, a case against Ohio that they, like apparently Ohio used to have in like third party candidates had to file or before Republicans and Democrats, hmm. and he he won the case basically and made it so that hmm. uh, you know it was one filing deadline. So he does, when he runs for president in 1980, more stuff comes out that I feel like would have come out if he ran. Like, the, the Jesus thing, mm-hmm. like, does hurt him in 1980, and I feel like it would have just come out sooner if, True. He runs, if he's the VP in 1976. So that's weird. <laughs> it's just a weird... I, I feel like yeah. he, like, progressed a lot. He, like, really moved away from that. Yeah. It's just, it's it just interesting. Uh, to me, that's kind of like the wall. Elizabeth Warren was a Republican thing. It's right. like, well, yeah, but that was 20 years ago. Who right. cares? And he's not close with Nixon. Like, he really did not like Nixon. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do not hate it. He's chair of the House Republican Conference, too. Mm-hmm. In Congress for 16 years instead of, or 14 years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Instead of three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I went universally for governors, one of whom, of course, was the incumbent vice president. Mm. You went for some reps. Both your top two picks were reps. Yeah. Um, you had some governors. You had one senator. So we're, we're sort of more... I really feel like Ford needed not anyone in the federal government. I all. think that's very fair. <laughs> they, they kind of have opposite problems. It's like Carter really needs someone who is. Mm-hmm. Ford really needs someone who isn't. Mm-hmm. It's sort of unclear who Ford actually considered because this was like an unusual situation. And like Dole was not announced in the run-up to the convention as has kind of become typical. Mm-hmm. We know that Daniel Evans and Kit Bond were both actually considered or at least floated. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's a lot of names. I bet you just learned a lot about people you'll never hear about again. Because <laughs> things are about to change in 1980. But yes. I, I don't know. Speed, speed round. Anyone else who we think might have been interesting? Not really. I don't really have anybody. Really? Yeah. I, I, I put, for uh, Carter, I put Leo Ryan, who is very green at this point. He famously is um, murdered at Jonestown. But like mm. at this point, he's he's kind of like on the verge of being this like investigative congressman for the republicans 
Richard Schweiker, a senator from Pennsylvania. Howard Baker, senator from Tennessee. He's the one that asked, you know, what did the president know and when did he know it? He was floated kind of as a pick in 1976. Hmm. I, I don't know. Mills Goodwin, he's kind of another southern governor, Republican. He's a Democrat turned Republican. He's the first governor ever to be elected as both Democrat and Republican. Hmm. The last one I jotted down was Keith Sebelius, who is the father-in-law of... Kathleen Sebelius. Yeah. He's a U.S. House member from Kansas. And, like, if Dole would have won, it was assumed that he would have taken over Dole's Senate seat. I'll, I'll, I'll throw out a crazy one. If you think Carter's too, too moderate, if you're worried about what a white Southern Democrat from the South would do to the party's reputation on civil rights, go with Shirley Chisholm, the first African-American yeah. woman to run yeah. for a major party nomination uh congresswoman from new york why not just yeah. just, just just go for it i uh, kind of feel like she's having a moment right now Maybe yeah it's just because i've been reading a lot about presidential races <laughs> yeah yeah but i feel like i've seen stuff about her mm-hmm. yeah i think that that'd be an interesting pick like yeah. that just the it would never happen just because i think there was a tacit recognition until probably honestly 2008 that like it would be very difficult for a non-white person to be elected president or vice president, mm. but just the idea of like somebody flipping that switch in like 1976 is it would have been like revolutionary. And I just I have no idea how people would have reacted. Like it yeah. would have been like nuts. Yeah, um, I mean eight years my later, guess is Carter would have lost the South. Ferraro. Yeah, which is big. Yeah, not yeah. as big. Yeah, but yeah. All right. So so in conclusion, like if you could change the running mate for the two candidates, would you? So I, I I wouldn't for Carter. I think Mondale's okay. a pretty. I think like, even with John Glenn. I okay yeah maybe John Glenn. <laughs> I I think. Do I think Mondale has to be switched out? No. Could Carter pick someone better like John Glenn? Yes. I think I agree. I actually think Mondale's like a pretty yeah. solid pick. Mm-hmm. Unusually solid. Yeah. What about I, Ford? <laughs> as far I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Bob Lowell per se, but I think if you're Ford and you're starting behind the eight ball in a lot of different ways, yeah, you need to be you need to swing for the fences a bit more, or stay too close with Rockefeller. <laughs> right? Yeah, like I actually think playing it safe hurt him because he kind of picks an insider. Well, he, he he picks he picks someone who would be inoffensive, right? And you need, instead of picking someone who no one has a complaint with, like pick someone who is going to like energize other people. Yeah. Especially since you're coming in and like half your party's pretty upset at you. Yeah. Like pick someone who's going to get everybody excited. And Dole's thing wasn't that he was going to get everyone excited, he was going to get nobody offended. Like so. Tim Kaine. He's yes. a very Tim Kaine pick, actually. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, that's our show. You can find us everywhere that podcasts are found. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can find all of our works and writings on thepostwriter.com, including our Running Mates portal for all vice presidency related content. It's a very niche interest, but I'm your guy. <laughs> We've got a lot of content coming up about the 2020 Democratic race and kind of the strongest vice presidential picks there for Biden or Bernie. Um, in the meantime, I've been Lars Emerson. I've been Mike Levito. And we will catch you in our next episode on the 1980 race between Ronald Reagan's pick of George H.W. Bush and Jimmy Carter and his pick of Walter Mondale again. <laughs>